0: When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner.
1: Well, good morning. How was your weekend? Coming up today, with petrol and diesel predicted to hit 260 a litre, how can you reduce your fuel bill as much as possible? It worked. Jordan Conroy avoids the dance-off in Dancing with the Stars. And the Midlands wins big at the Irish Film and Television Awards. Plenty of good news on the agenda between now and 12. When you call 0818 300 103, that's my number. You can text or WhatsApp if it's easier. 083 30 10 103. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore or free of charge through the Midlands 103 app. Just smash that message icon in the top right-hand corner. Our competition this week is with thanks to circleoflight.ie. Lots of healthy fitness drinks can be yours and I'll tell you more. At around a quarter to twelve today. Now, on the front pages, the war in Ukraine continues to dominate the photographs. You see a man on a stretcher arriving at a hospital in Novovorisk after Russian missiles struck just 25 kilometres from the Polish border. So that is the closest any Russian attack has come to the European Union, just 25 kilometres. US warns Russia as missiles kill dozens on base near Poland is the headline on the front of the Irish Times. Western Front is the headline on the Star. It says, Bombs reach EU border. Martin warns of war economy. Now, it's worth pointing out, by the way, the Russian perspective on this. They didn't attack Polish soil, number one, but the base, which they did send missiles to strike, was where many weapons had been stored, weapons that had been transferred from the European Union and other countries in the West, and presumably some of the medical supplies that Ireland gave would have been stored there as well. From a military perspective, it was a logical target. Putin moves his war closer to NATO borders. That's what the headline on the Irish independence says. Now, not on the front pages, but worth keeping in mind both sides, both Russia and Ukraine, yesterday said progress was being made in diplomatic talks. So, there is some hope, some light at the end of the tunnel, perhaps, that they can avoid further bloodshed through negotiation. We will watch and we will wait and we will see. Now, one of the effects of the conflict has been a surge in fuel prices and we saw last week prices in many forecourts across the midlands exceeding 2 euro per liter for petrol and diesel the excise duty cut 15 cent on diesel 20 cent on petrol that seems to have had some effect with many listeners telling us prices are somewhere between 175 and 185 a liter depending on where you shop and indeed that's borne out in research by the AA So there are mixed messages in the news today. David Horgan is the chairman of a company called Petrol Resources. He expects prices could hit 264 per litre between now and the end of April. But the AA disagrees. It's more optimistic in the short term. It believes because crude oil peaked last week at about 125 a barrel but since receded that maybe the worst is over but it all depends on what happens in Ukraine and indeed how the OPEC oil producing countries respond so we'll watch that space but I wouldn't take it as guaranteed that we're going to see an increase to 264 far from it now do you recall last week Dublin city councillors had a discussion about Orwell Road, which is where the Russian embassy in Ireland is based. And a group of them voted unanimously to change the name to Independent Ukraine Road. And this would require the approval of residents. They would have a plebiscite, a mini vote. But actually, the proposal has been dropped because it seems a lot of residents weren't on board and they contacted the council. On practical matters such as deeds, think about the title of your house. You have to have all of the I's dotted and T's crossed legally, so there would be a cost. Uh, Their addresses, many business addresses and so on would have to change. And the feeling was residents were in an invidious position, because if they voted against it, it would have the appearance that they weren't supporting the war in Ukraine. Anyway, end of story, but I think the message has well and truly been sent to the Russian embassy. They'll get the idea. Now, many offers have been made over the last 72 hours, ever since a special website was set up involving the Irish Red Cross and the Irish government where you could record your pledge if you wished to make a room available in your house or indeed if you had an entire property that you were willing to donate to the refugee effort. And according to the Irish Independent, more than 20,000 such offers have been registered since the website was set up. 15,000 directly to the Red Cross, about another 5,000 through other NGOs, and there's a one-stop shop in place at Dublin Airport So if you were coming through from Ukraine, you'd meet officials from the Departments of Justice and Social Protection. So you'd be sorted with your PPS number. You'd be directed towards accommodation. It appears as if it's a reasonably well-oiled machine, despite being cobbled together in quite a hurry. So again, that website remains online. uh, pledge.redcross.ie if you wish to check it out. Now, on other news stories, COVID 19 is back in the headlines. It was a welcome reprieve not to be reading about this for quite a while or hearing about it. But Professor Kingston Mills, Kingston Mills is from Mullingard. He now spends his time at Trinity College, Dublin. He's worried about an increase in hospitalisations. And he points it back at the lifting of the mask wearing requirement in shops and in other public areas. And on Sunday, 957 patients were in hospital with the virus, which was up 62 on the previous day. But, 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 you have to trawl down into the article towards the end and it says that more than half of the patients who have COVID in hospital were admitted for other conditions and then subsequently tested positive. So, it's a bit of a non-story, really. The ICU number, those who are really sick and requiring intensive care, that number is stable. Now, we wish them all the best, of course. 41 people on ICU, on ventilation, not to be sniffed at. But it's not a spike, as the article initially leads you to believe it is. Anyway, his concern, for the record, is that with... St. Patrick's Day taking place on Thursday and indeed it's going to be a long weekend of celebrations there may well be a further spike in cases. So take on board what you will from that, if you will. Now, teachers are concerned about the junior cert which is being reformed at the moment and one of the proposals is that if you wish to take a subject other than Irish, English and maths there won't be a higher level and there won't be an ordinary level there will be one common level And in a survey of 3,000 teachers, they're worried this would leave you ill-equipped to deal with the leaving cert just two years later when you would be streamlined into a more challenging exam if you've got the ability or perhaps just the ordinary level if you're not as au fait with the subject. And again, I, I think there's a certain logic from the teacher's point of view on this one. And I know teachers can sometimes be disagreeable and... Many would argue, is it just to get in the headlines and for the union to be active? But I think in this case, they're certainly making a fair point. The Leaving Cert is a terminal exam. The points influence greatly what you do in college. And yes, it's not the be all and end all. And there are many people who with all the best laid plans go on and do even better things, which they never foresaw at the age of 18. But to just be thrown in at fifth year into a a higher level or whatever they call it these days or an ordinary level i don't think two years is a long enough lead in what do you reckon 083 30 103 on texts and on whatsapp i'm with the teachers on that one now do you remember there was an amazing story one that seemed very very shall we say 1950s rather than 2021 as it was A solicitor, female solicitor, visited Clover Hill Prison. And the story was that she had been told she needed to remove her bra to get in. That they had a metal detector and the male uh, guarder, not guarder rather, but the prison officers, the male prison officers and a male senior counsel were all present when this was happening. And she was obviously according to her, quite distressed. The Taoiseach responded at the time. He described the situation as quite shocking and unacceptable. But it's in the Irish Examiner this morning. The Prison Officers Association wrote to him 10 days after he made these remarks in the door chamber and it turns out the officers involved were exonerated. And according to the Prison Officers Association, this simply isn't good enough in any shape or form and needs to be addressed where the Taoiseach would make remarks without having the full facts. They say no wrongdoing was established, no disciplinary action against the prison staff was recommended, the staff in question were vindicated. And that somebody in such a high profile position should have established the facts and allowed natural justice to take place. Well, this is one of the pressures, isn't it, when you're in the public eye and you're asked to comment on issues every single day and you may not have all the information. And you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't because if the Taoiseach was to turn around and say, oh, no comment, we'd be saying, oh, what's he hiding? Why doesn't he want to say? Finally, dancing with the stars. And after being rallied, it looks like the Midlands responded last night and Jordan Conroy was not in the dance-off and why would he be? Because he scored, along with his impromptu dance partner for the week, uh, 29 points. Salome, his regular partner, has been diagnosed with COVID-19. Two of the professional dancers actually out of action last night because of COVID. So he progresses and at the expense of Nicholas Roach, who exits Dancing with the Stars and joins, unfortunately, uh, the likes of Neil Delamere and others on the sidelines who will be watching anxiously to see does Jordan go all the way but he is one step closer to the final and thanks to Dennis Magner for rallying all of us last Friday and if you missed the video of Dennis dancing and I'm sure many of his past pupils Dennis Magner a teacher in Tullamore for many years check out on the Midlands 103 Facebook page Dennis Magner on Dancing with the Not So Stars Now, if you're looking for a job this morning, let's see what's on offer. Now, still on the agenda this morning, Father Ray Kelly, formerly of Dancing with the Stars, looks at who is left and who is likely to take the top prize. Will it be Jordan Conroy? We're very much hoping it will be from a Midlands perspective. Also on the agenda today with Fuel Certainly at a very high level, and some saying that it may go further as much as to 260 a litre, fingers crossed it doesn't, how can you reduce your petrol or diesel bill as much as possible? We shall be looking at that between now and 10 o'clock. Average temperature at the moment, it is 6 degrees. Here's the official description of the new junior cert from the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment. They say it features newly developed subjects and short courses, a focus on key skills and new approaches to assessment and reporting, which all sounds well and good. Unofficially, many people would say the junior cert is a trial run and a preparation and a foundation for the leaving cert for which you pick up the CAO points, and that determines college choice and so on. So teachers are a little concerned about whether the new programme adequately prepares students for the Leaving Cert just two years later. And let's see, can we flesh out what some of those concerns involve? Eamon Dennehy is president of the Association of Secondary Teachers in Ireland. He is also a teacher at Haywood Community School in Cantileach. Eamon, good morning. Good morning, Will. Could you maybe just, I suppose, for the background of parents who haven't been watching closely, what are the changes to this new junior cert over the old one?
2: Well, the, uh, I suppose the, 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 the answer to that, I suppose, would be on the idea that it was recognised or certainly it was uh, seen, the junior cert that is, as a low-stakes exam. And it was decided, I suppose, to simplify it somewhat and to reduce the amount of examinations and uh, the depth of uh, uh, assessment of it, etc. I think that that was the decision that was made. Now, I suppose it's important uh, that I say, you know, that that when this happened, it it happened, what is it now, six, seven years ago now, uh, the process uh, began, and uh, with very little consultation with teachers at the time. So it, it really was sort of imposed upon us at that time. But the overall idea was I suppose, to take, uh, to take the junior cert and uh, reduce it in status, I suppose, and reduce it in importance. But uh, I suppose as well, uh, take it out of the realms of being in high stakes and rather in a low stakes exam.
1: I recall at the time there was some focus on numeracy and on literacy and to some extent some practicalities uh, that were not present heretofore. So... We've had, since 2014, a phased introduction of this. What would be the next step that was due to take place?
2: Well, what what we have now, we have reached, uh, 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 I think the present junior set will examine all uh, subjects under the new regime. Uh, my own subject would have been one of the last, so I haven't been through the... the, the uh, this process myself uh, to any great uh, extent. Mm. And, uh, what is your subject, Michael? Be, uh, engineering, uh, or I should say, network, network, uh, and uh, tech graphics
1: and etc. Oh, so okay. okay. My dad was a network so, teacher they, once they upon are, a time. He, uh, he he very much found it a very challenging subject in that uh, there was always change. Um, technologies were always changing and yes. processes, and it was an evolving All curriculum.
2: That, that was always part of the uh, of the process, actually. So we were a little bit uh, surprised, all right, that, that people are talking about radical change because our, our system was evolving and evolving in a very informed way because after each set of exams at junior cert and at leading cert, there would be, you know, fairly in-depth uh, discussions and fairly in-depth uh, uh, advice being given from various uh, sources, including the correctors, etc., and the unions and everybody else about whether uh, the the exam papers and the subject itself was uh, heading in the right direction and I think I, I was of the opinion, I have to say myself, that that uh, system was serving us quite well
1: So more recently your organisation, the ASTI carried out a survey of around 3,000 teachers 3, 000, yes. What yeah. views did, did you get back from them?
2: Uh, in general, I suppose the most important one was the uh, the concern that is there, and it is a real concern because it, it, it's so important to us on the ground when we're trying to work with the students that, we're, that we are preparing, for example, for the Leaving Cert. But all through the five years, the Leaving Cert isn't everything, and contrary to what people believe, teachers don't think that either. The, the, the journey is important too, not just the destination, and we, we recognise that. If you want a, a pleasant five years in school, that has to be a, a recognised. And indeed, if a teacher wants a pleasant day in school, it has to be recognised that this the here and now matters as well as the future. But uh, uh, getting back to your point, uh, I think that you're trying to get me to come to, the, the feeling was that we are not preparing students uh, with the new junior cert uh, uh, in the way that we used to for the leaving cert. Now, of course, there is talk about leaving cert reform, but we would be concerned about the idea that if you're going to take the junior cert as the foundation from which you build the leaving cert, well, then we would prefer it to be a much more solid foundation than many of us believe at present it to be.
1: Most of us listening will have to rely on our own experience if we went as far as leaving cert. And my recollection was junior cert, I suppose, was a less detailed programme. And then when you went into leaving CERT, you, for instance, if you went from science to biology, as I did, it became more intense, the focus on specifics. But overall, there wasn't a step change. There was a sequence, shall we say. It, it felt like a natural progression. So how big a step would it feel to a student now, in your opinion?
2: I, again, uh, first-hand, uh experience I don't have of this uh, process yet but from listening to others certainly yes they think it is uh, it's not a step it's going to be a leap for them to go to the new uh, from the the new juniors up to what is still the the uh, the, the leaving such as we as we have always understood it to be so yeah it's about standards and we are worried about that we are worried about the standard and uh, depth and etc of uh, the junior set and of course, its its ability then to prepare our students for for uh, senior cycle.
1: And is that reflected in the exam or in the marking scheme, or how exactly is the bar not being set high enough?
2: Well, it, 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 the bar is not being set ho- Well, you see, it's a it's a complicated uh, question in, in 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 some ways. Insofar as we absolutely accept that. Uh, The the junior cert, for example, uh, needs to evolve with time. And as I said, we're we're okay with that. But you do have to keep in mind what standard you do want the child to be at, the student to be at, at the end of their second level education. And then where would appropriate place be, uh, appropriate place for you to be with regard to that after three years of school, which is where you would be uh, uh, doing your junior cert. So... There is, the two graphs seem to be travelling, the graph at present seems to be a lot lower from the point of view of preparation than it used to be. So uh, we are concerned about that. We're concerned then about the the ongoing uh, effect of that into the senior cycle, where we feel we will have to start at a lower level with our senior cycle to get, uh, to pick up those students who have not been working as... uh, as uh, in the same way that they used to be with regard to the, to the junior set up to now. So that is a concern, and certainly many teachers are voicing that concern. Mm. That Could they, uh, some of they that gap to, be
1: bridged by transition year, if, if that programme was to be tweaked?
2: Well, transition year was never about uh, academic uh, achievement. It was more about, you know, life skills and, and uh, learning about life and learning about yourself and what where your strengths and weaknesses were, you know, things like work experience and other kinds of experiences outside of the academic. So uh, I suppose uh, transition year could be changed, but that would be changing the emphasis that was, Hmm. you know, that was uh, transition year, which was, uh, by the way, extremely beneficial to lots and lots of young people, in my opinion.
1: But if the junior cert has been altered to make it a more rounded education, is transition year in its original form, still needed?
2: Oh, I I, I believe it is, yes, or a form thereof. And, of course, we're not talking about... uh, You know, I don't want to be uh, sound here like that we don't want change at all. We want change, but but we want it to be uh, based on logic and based on research and uh, with some sort of confidence that it would achieve the objectives that we want uh, rather than... uh, you know, wait and see or implement something and then find that it's not working. And I'm afraid there is certainly an anxiety among our membership that we have a junior set maybe that is not quite working the way maybe it was planned to and certainly not working the way we would like to see it Mm. working.
1: Well, I'd be anxious to hear from parents to hear their feedback as well. You've carried out your survey. What do you intend to do with the findings and to filter your feedback through to the department?
2: We do that, and uh, in fairness, we have—we are listened to. Uh, sometimes we weren't listened to with regard to the junior cert, but since then, I think we do have uh, uh, channels that we can get our uh, our voice heard through, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, the reinstatement, for example, of the of the leaving cert, uh, etc., more recently during the pandemic, etc. Uh, I think those are examples where. Or experience The experience and, and voice of the teacher in the classroom who knows a little about uh, education, was listened to on this occasion, and I think they might do well to do that into the future.
1: Appreciate your time. Eamon Dana of the ASTI, thank you.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Will.
1: And Eamon is a teacher at Haywood Community School in County Leash. It is 18 minutes to 10. Midlands 103. Martha, your daughter is in fifth year at the moment, went straight from third to fifth year, and yes, certainly found it a bit of a shock to the system compared to junior cert, more so than, she says, her older children would have found it to be the case five and six years ago. Now, are you in the same camp? Or was it perhaps a easier transition than is being made out? Awake oh, 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp for your feedback. Next... Dancing with the Stars. Jordan is spared the dance-off, thankfully. And he, in fairness, deserved to be. 29 points. Fantastic score. Let's find out more after these.
0: Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with o'brien's Mullingar. The Renault Capture. Capture life. P.O.
1: Well, you're a fantastic producer. I just yes. asked Sinead Hubble, how many weeks are left on Dancing with the Stars? And she says... I don't know I don't know right great 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 Father Ray do you know good morning
3: I
4: do indeed yeah uh, there are two weeks left uh, next Sunday night and the following Sunday night and it finishes then next Sunday night is the semi-final I wouldn't be surprised if there's, there's still five minutes so I figured there could be two eliminations uh, possibly surprise the the, the celebs and, and the pros by telling them that maybe closer to the weekend I'm not sure it's going to happen but I wouldn't be surprised because with, five, with four coming up to a uh, final, it's quite a bit. But maybe they will have the four in the final.
1: I don't know. Cat and pigeon spring to mind. So Sinead, did you know that Nicholas Roach was voted off last night?
3: I did. Yeah. I actually quite liked his dance last night. Go on, tell us more. <laughs>
1: she's, she's trying to compose herself here now. She's a bit rattled. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to tell us, Father Ray, about Nicholas Roach's dance
5: last night?
4: Yeah, well, they have always kind of called Nicholas the Gentleman, you know, because he has the height and he looks so tall and so slim, you know. So um, Nicholas was doing the, uh, what was he doing last night? He was doing the Foxtrot, so it was very much a ballroom dance with Karen. And of course, that suited his height and his style and his figure. And of course, he was dressed accordingly, of course, as well. So I think that's what, but uh, I wasn't overly surprised. He was the lowest score of of the six last night. So... Himself and uh, I thought maybe it was between himself and Matthew possibly going last night, and uh, Nicholas unfortunately got the thumbs down.
1: Well, this is where we're really starting to separate the men from the boys, so to speak. In that, it's really a high standard now. Those who exactly, are left. Yeah.
4: yeah. You're down to the last. Uh, you're down to the last five now, and Matthew would I say be the for want of a better word the weakest link of the other of mm. the five. So. Um, I would say, yes, it's, but Jordan we were delighted. oh God, it was so thrilled to see him getting, getting uh, the first name out of the hat last night as well. So Because I think he was really worried after doing two dance-offs. He said this couldn't happen again, probably to him, you know, and uh, thank God it didn't, you
6: know.
1: Well, I think he can thank his old teacher, Dennis Magner, for rallying the troops here last Friday, getting the whole Midlands. Oh, and <laughs> he, Even dancing himself, you know. We, we kind of surprised him and if you want to see the video it's on the Midlands 103 Facebook page. Uh, but he performed on cue. Sinead, have you recovered by the way?
3: I, I have recovered. Okay, Maybe that's now- where Jordan got some of his dance moves from.
1: Now that you've regained your composure would you like to tell us about why Jordan I suppose would have been a bit rattled coming into last night?
3: Well, he would have uh, been in the dance-off two weeks in a row. He had scored a perfect 30 and Mm -hmm. I think it was 29 then and he still ended up in the bottom two. Mm -hmm. So he obviously wasn't getting the support from um, viewers on the show. I was
1: more referring to Salome.
3: (laughs) All right. (laughs) So his partner as well got COVID um, in the last week, so she was out, so he had to fill in with Emily Barker and uh, he also celebrated his birthday this week and it was on his birthday that he found out that he wouldn't have his partner for yesterday.
1: So what sort of a routine did they take on?
3: So they did the Charleston and um, Brian Redmond actually commented to say that you know he always believed that this would be a dance that Jordan would be very good at.
4: You had the power in those arms to do with the lifts and you don't take yourself too seriously (laughs) so the characterization was always going to be a thing and you proved me right in all of those regards tonight
7: tiny little sections but maybe some of the touching sections with the arms could have been a little bit clearer but i mean the pyramids of egypt are one of the wonders
4: of the modern world and that was a wonderful charleston
7: walk
3: like an Egyptian, there was no walking going on there. (laughs) Emily, you walked straight into a jam-packed Charleston, and well done you, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. I really thought that you took a great reference note to the actual Egyptian with all the hand and the arm movements, but at the same time incorporating the Charleston that we all know, that classical Charleston, it was truly a wonderful number. And then, of course, you've got those amazing lifts as well. (laughs) So for me here, everything you had up and down the room, up, down, it was all there. This is a very creative Charleston.
4: I'm so proud of you, mainly because you did not let the two dance off to get into your head, yeah. you know? You pick yourself up, you dust yourself up, and bring us every single week amazing dances. Thank you. Your dancing ability, your strength, and your commitment, 100% to this competition, it's flawless, <laughs> Thank you. flawless. Amazing, gorgeous, gorgeous Charleston. This is a winning dance for you.
3: Yeah, he was, it was another fantastic performance by, by Jordan. And the lifts last night, Father Ray, they were incredible.
4: They were fantastic, yeah, absolutely. They were all, you know, Jordan's lips were amazing. like. But then he's so, You see, he has the physicality. It's probably so easy for him compared to other, other guys, you know. It really
3: is. I don't remember you doing them.
4: I, no, no, no. We'll go easy. Hold it, hold
3: <laughs> he's really on fire this morning, Father <laughs> Ray, isn't he? I'm not saying I could <laughs> either.
4: I did one or two lips. Now, um, in fact, my group dance, because there was a group dance actually last night, too. There was two 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 teams. Um, what was it, you know, the Cuban... Groovers and, uh, and uh, Turkish Delights or something last night and uh, I remember we were there I can't remember what we were called now but I remember I gave Lottie a, a big lift at one stage Not uh, yeah Lottie Ryan who went on to win it you know and I think the judges were amazed that so I was able to do it but I was you know when I was <laughs>
1: but so it went back off yeah no no no, no. <laughs> listen in fairness you've got divine intervention on your side nobody can compete with that
4: oh well I don't know <laughs> thank you <laughs>
3: You're taking a pop at everyone this morning. (laughs) Yeah, you're in in bad form this morning,
1: are you? Wrong side of bed. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) So, as we look then possibly to two eliminations and we'll see if your prediction is right, Father Ray, who would you be worried for?
4: Well, I'd be worried for Matthew at this stage now, you know, and Matthew and possibly Erica, maybe. I think I just, I can see that a two-hurt race between Nina and Pasquale and Jordan and Emily and um, you know I think maybe Ellen as well because Ellen again was she had to uh, Stephen Vincent her partner was out with COVID that mm-hmm. night too so she had to resort to a very quick changeover with a guy called Irvanis so uh, yeah it's look it's, at it's hard to call it it was easier to call it my year because Lottie was way ahead herself and, and Ryan were way ahead of everybody else and indeed Aidan Fogarty as well But um, and uh, so there was three or four as well so it's hard to call it at this stage I really wouldn't like to call it at this stage
1: Well, we'll watch with interest again next Sunday and the Midlands hopefully will be out voting for Jordan and uh, I'm going to get back yeah, in my exactly. box now because I'm them the devil eyes
3: <laughs> <laughs> Again, yeah, making keep things up, William for
0: Jordan. Keep voting for Jordan
3: Thanks Father Ray God
0: bless, take care,
3: bye
1: Bye bye I'll need it
0: Midlands Today on Midlands 103 with Tullamore Motors. The all-new renault again. Feel the drive. TullamoreMotors.ie
1: Back to the Leaving Cert and a parent says, Will, delighted to hear the discussion about Leaving Cert being addressed. My daughter is having panic attacks at the moment because the course isn't finished at all. In Home Economics, they are on Chapter 13 out of 31. She is so desperately depressed over this. So she's in sixth year now, is she? And it's the 14th of March. The exam is in June. And they're on chapter 13 out of 31. Am I getting the wrong end of the stick on that? Is she maybe in fifth year? Heavens above. That's a lot of pressure and an unrealistic time frame to try and catch up. Oh, Will, you know you are in trouble when Sinead calls you William. <laughs> That's from Michaela in Mount Belloc. Yeah, that just sends shivers down the spine. In school, William. Well, usually, actually, it was Faulkner. Faulkner, aye. Anyway, today, drive time, 3 until 7. If you are a fan of whiskey, if you want to discover how it is made, Well, Roy Jennings brings you drive time from the ultimate distillery experience, which will be Tullamore Dew's new distillery experience where you can appreciate every aspect of how 18 million litres of the famous whiskey is produced every year. It is going to be a drive time unlike any other. In fact, we probably should rename it Uh, Not call it drive time when he's in the middle of a distillery. They may even have a specially distilled drive time blend. Oh, that's all we need. Mr. Jennings on the side of a bottle of whiskey. Also on the agenda today, why strength training is important even when you get older. Arnold Schwarzenegger, every morning he starts his day lifting weights and you should have as much muscle in the bank as possible to prepare you for your later years. We'll be hearing from an expert in human health and human performance from a quarter to 12. Also with petrol and diesel possibly going to hit 260 a litre, although not everybody agrees on that. The bottom line is, you'll need to drive as economically as possible. Make sure your car is in tip-top condition. The essentials on the way very soon. Midlands
0: 103. Love the Midlands?
1: Love. Still to come today, a sensational hole-in-one for Shane Lowry, the highlight of last night's action at Sawgrass. Also, the Midlands wins big at the Irish Film and Television Awards, I'll tell you more shortly. And you meet Annalena, who arrived in the Midlands from Ukraine two weeks ago and is now volunteering in the relief effort locally. When you call, my number is 0818 300 You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Now, mixed messages in the newspapers this morning. One commentator is predicting petrol and diesel prices could hit €2.64 per litre by the end of April. The AA is a little more optimistic and believes the average that you'll pay around the Midlands this morning somewhere between one seventy-four and one eighty-four per litre and that it should not uh, spike again. But all of that, of course, subject to Russia's actions, Ukraine's actions, and how the conflict might hopefully not evolve from there. Let's get another perspective. Kevin McPartland is CEO of Fuels for Ireland. It was formerly known as the Irish Petroleum Industry Association. Kevin, good morning. Morning, Will. What's the feeling within the industry? What's the crystal ball telling you?
8: I would be very untrusting of crystal balls at the moment. Um, all of the things that would traditionally give one an indication of where fuel prices are likely to go are all uh, a little skewed at the moment. So you, typically, you know, people would be used to keeping an eye on the price of a barrel of crude and thinking that that might give an indication of trends sort of uh, two, three weeks hence. Uh, right now, it's too it's too volatile to do that. And so people are really concentrating on the on the wholesale market for refined product. So the wholesale price for diesel and unleaded fuel today will have an impact on fuel prices in 48, 72 hours. So that's that's where indicators uh, are being sought, and they're quite on, and, and they're quite um, uh, quite short-term. So you know, yes, we have a, a rough sense of what things are likely to be in the next two or three days, but after that, we we really don't.
1: Well, if we go back a little bit, we saw Brent oil spike at about one thirty-seven dollars. Per barrel, it's just about one o eight at the moment. So, how do those short-term fluctuations filter through to the pumps, or do they?
8: They do, but but Brent is fluctuating so wildly that um, you know the price in any, at any given time any given day really isn't that indicative. You have to look at what the trends are. So, if you think if if I go back to that wholesale price as the indicator, if you think that on the day that the Russians invaded Ukraine, or the difference in the wholesale price of diesel from the day that Russia invaded Ukraine to the day that the um, government announced its cutting excise duty, the wholesale price of diesel went up 45 cents, and then you have to add VAT to that, so that's a difference to the price that we have to charge of 55 cents. So so that was in, uh, what, a a, a 12-day period. So that's how how wild the, 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 the price increases have been on fuel stock.
1: This might be a complicated question to answer but a lot of people have asked it so Russia accounts for about 7% of global oil supplies but the fluctuations have been obviously far in excess of that so what other forces are at play apart from purely supply
8: It's a really interesting question and and, and that's not the only thing that impacts on supply so yes yeah, so Russia supplies 7 to 10% of the of the world's global oil supplies however they supply far more than that into Europe, and they also f- supply far more diesel than they do petrol. and in this country we're far more dependent on diesel than we are on petrol. So that so it's a, has a bigger impact than the than the seven or ten depending on how you how you calculate these things percent. In addition to that, Russia supplies forty percent of Europe's gas, and so a number of countries that were completely reliant on gas, particularly to generate electricity for their country, switched to using oil. Um, because that was the next best alternative for them. So what you have then is kind of that perfect storm of a decrease in supply and an increase in demand. And it's both those uh, factors are particularly important on diesel, which we use more than most uh, other countries in the world. Mm.
1: And is there some element of speculation as well where institutional money buys up supply?
8: There will always be an element of that, but I think that uh, speculators tend not to... Um, tend not to go into markets that are so wildly fluctuating. So I don't think there's too much of that right now. Look, I'd have to be honest and say that that's not my field of expertise and I wouldn't want to mislead your listeners. But I don't believe that that's too much of a factor at the moment.
1: As far as supply on these shores is concerned, how long would we last independently if there were some unforeseen interruption in supply?
8: Well, truly independently, we wouldn't last at all. We don't... don't, uh we don't have any any uh, oil being uh, being produced in this co- or at least being uh, um, developed in this country we have we have it refined from 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 crude in in might refinery in court but that only meets about uh, 30 to 40% of our national oil needs we have what's called the national oil reserves agency which is, which holds 90 days worth of stock so if there was a huge problem tomorrow and we were no longer able to get any oil into the country we have 90 days held in the national oil reserves agency uh, and that requires an order from the Minister for Environment, Climate and Communications to release that. Uh, in addition, then, the 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 fuel Thrive member companies have their own stock that they manage. And, you know, there's some things that have been said in the last couple of weeks around, you know, people having months of supply, you know, held in terminals. That's just not true. Um, oil products are extremely expensive, first of all, so you don't want them sitting there doing nothing. Also, storing them. It's also very expensive. You know, they're, they're a product that requires a, a great deal of health and safety measures to make sure they're stored properly. So people tend to operate on a just-in-time basis. We have had to be very careful in the last couple of weeks about uh, making sure that we can continue to meet all customers' needs. And that has meant, for example, that some people who maybe wanted to get ahead of prices when they were increasing very rapidly last week or the week before for their home heating oil, they were maybe limited to getting 500 litres rather than 800 litres Mm. that they wanted. So things like that have had to be done to make sure that we can maintain supply to everybody.
1: Yes, but I think you've answered what didn't compute for some listeners. They were hearing, on one hand, we've 90 days' supply. On the other hand, when a price change, let's say with crude, uh, took place globally, it filtered almost immediately through to the pumps. So the question was, why wasn't there a lag? But this supply you've referred to, this 90 days, that's held independently that's held of the, the system, agency. so to speak.
8: Yeah, that, that's a, a, an absolute reserve and, and, and we, we don't have access to it. We don't decide when it is released. It is, uh, it's a decision for the minister to make. But again, just just come back to that point. It's not crude oil that's the indicator right now. It's it, Things are moving way too quickly to be looking at crude because that has an impact two or three weeks from now. Uh, you have to be looking at the wholesale prices on a day-to-day basis to really get any sense of where things are going.
1: Just a final question then, because we are hearing some positive noises from both the Russian and Ukrainian diplomatic teams and obviously much ground yet to be covered about brokering some sort of a peace deal. But if that were to happen, would prices settle quickly again or could it take some time?
8: I think it would be another speculative question and I I wouldn't have the expertise to, to give a very definite answer. What I could say to you is that... Because people in my industry have unwound themselves from relationships with Russian suppliers and also with Russian shipping companies and even vessels, um, people are moving where they get their supply from. So people are looking at where they're buying product and they bring it in from different places. That's likely to take four to six weeks before that really settles down and we have a sense of where people are going to get supply from on an ongoing basis. So... We should have a little we, we are going to experience a little more disruption on that for the next couple of weeks, but that should calm down quite soon.
1: Kevin, grateful for your time this morning and thank you for taking the call.
8: Always a pleasure, thanks. Bye right now.
1: Kevin McPartland from Fuels for Ireland. Formerly the Irish Petroleum Industry Association. It's nearly 20 past 10.
0: It's time to look your best in suits, casual, formal and footwear for men and boys at Guy Clothing High Street Tullamore. The leading clothing destination for every man. Open Sundays from 12 to 6. Follow Guy Clothing, Tullamore on social media. Midlands 103.
1: Next, and hopefully those forecasts of €2.60 per litre do not come to pass and I should stress there's just... One opinion among many being contributed to the debate, Uh, that particular claim coming from David Horgan of Petrol Resources, the AA being far more optimistic about perhaps even the peak of last week being the heights they will uh, set. But if you have to cut back on your fuel bill, as many people do, what options have you got other than driving more slowly? which was the recommendation from the Minister for Transport last week, for which he was much derided. Well, we'll tease it out in more detail after these.
0: Midlands Today on Midlands 103 with O'Brien's Mullingar. The all-new Renault Cajor. Start living. P.O.Brien.ie
1: Now, Vladimir Zelensky is the President of Ukraine and he has, I suppose, become very, very popular in some circles over the last few months Um, but he appeared in a music video which you will hear in a moment and it is I think a beautiful beautiful version of a popular song from uh, Lionel Richie and Diana Ross 1981 they recorded Endless Love but this is Mr. Zelensky and his wife performing it. I think it's just, apart from what's happening at the moment, it's a lovely version. It's a lovely version, isn't it? And you see the two of them smiling at each other and looking lovingly in each other's direction through that. And when you search for it online, Voldemir Zelensky and his wife singing Endless Love. Except it's not them. Honestly. There's so much misinformation online. And even when it comes to who many would regard as the good guys, the lines are always blurred. It's actually a video of Andreo Luis Manzano and Connie Talbot and Andredo happens to bear a striking resemblance to Zelensky and so it's being circulated widely online as the Ukrainian president and his wife, but it's not. Even something as beautiful as music can be hijacked and turned into some misinformation. For, again, the motives are just bizarre. Why would you wish to mislabel it and promote it as Zelensky when it's not? Is it to make him appear all the more endearing? I don't know. But the music itself... And the performance, I thought, was absolutely beautiful. And so I thought you might like to hear it today.
0: Midlands Today on Midlands 103 with Tullamore Motors. The Renault Capture. Capture life. TullamoreMotors.ie
1: Now, a little bit later, you'll hear how Shane Lowry has achieved the highlight so far of Sawgrass. A sensational hole in one. And also the Midlands winning big at the Irish Film and Television Awards. But first, the price of petrol and diesel we've covered. How to save, how to drive as economically as possible. How to make sure your car is set up for the most efficient motoring that is achievable. Well, we've been asking Michael Hogan for his advice. He runs Hogan's School of Motoring in Leash. And this is his advice, as shared with Midlands 103's Sinead Hubble. Well,
9: first of all, we must go back to the basics. First of all, make sure your car is serviced properly. And very importantly, of course, your tyres and tyre pressure. Tyres should be always in good condition. And, uh, we actually start driving then. First of all, people people use most fuel, believe it or not, when moving off in first and second gear. They race off in first gear. And first gear basically is a moving off gear so it should be you should move into second gear about in double figures 12 to 15k is the ideal speed for second gear and then from third gear to upwards it is about 25k plus and fourth gear 45 to 50k and if we finish it then fifth gear 60 plus and sixth gear is available to you 80 plus so that's among the the very basics what we're talking about
3: So if we manage our gears and how our our rev counter basically, we'll be able to save some fuel.
9: It would, of course, yes. If you have the, if you have the, what do you call it, in front of you, you have the digital digital speed up in front of you is is helpful as well. So it's something that should be practiced really, you know, it doesn't come automatically. So people keep that in mind. It'll be a big, big help. And the same when coming down to the gears. For example, you change down from fifth to fourth, for example, around the, the below 60k and from 4th gear to 3rd gear around the 40k mark and so on and, and for 2nd gear it should be down below 25k ideally from 3rd 2nd and then that, and then 2nd usually you're stopping you don't need to go into 1st gear by to stop the car generally speaking 2nd is usually stopping gear 1st is moving off gear if you can remember it like that you know if you if you look after your, your, what is your body or your vehicle you'll get a lot more money it if you like and uh, the, the, but the, there is, there's, many, there's many courses, but like, you don't have to actually do a, a course in eco driving. Eco driving is really, especially in your right foot, I suppose. That's when our economy is in your right foot, how we use our accelerator, how we use our gears. And to, to sum up, I suppose you could say you should try to learn to drive safely, smoothly, and progressively. And progress means learning to drive at a safe, and appropriate speed and of course a very important aspect of good driving is planning ahead because remember we have six fields of vision from the vehicle far distance in front of us middle distance and near distance and we try to plan ahead as far as we can especially when driving in the open roads and the tower driving requires more immediate or fourth or near near front driving and then as i said before avoid harsh braking and harsh acceleration and they are really the key elements to eco-driving. With will save, we'll save our vehicle. I was in Dublin recently, and I was using a taxi. And only very recently, actually. And um, I said to the taxi driver, your car is going very well. It was a 0-7, actually. Um, a uh, sorry, um, an event is automatic. I said, take a look at the mileage. and I looked across. I said, 70,000. No, he said, look again. It said there was over 700,000 kilometres on the vehicle. And I said, what's the secret? It says, it's in your right foot. Exactly. And that is and that is my philosophy as well. That's the way we should be all thinking, you know.
3: It is really all about driver behaviour and the things that we do. And is that something that you would notice with a lot of your students coming in, that there is harsh braking? they tend to take off, accelerate very fast?
9: Yeah, well, that's that's they're, they're the people that will come with some driving experience behind them. But from the very from the very first driving lesson, that's the one. thing thing above all I we teach how to how to use how to drive sympathetically, we call it, with vehicle sympathy and passenger comfort. The so vehicle sympathy and and, and passenger comfort, to the opposite side of the coin. And by that I mean, but just outlined about changing gears, driving safely and smoothly, and uh, gear changing basically, and and, and braking. And if you get that right, you're well on the way to becoming an eco driver. And your car or your vehicle will give you a much, much better return on fuel, consequently. We all have to tighten our belts in, in every sense of the word. As far as uh, we don't know what the future of this, of this war in, is, is going to hold for us. But uh, certainly in terms of fuel consumption, we can even without, without an emergency of any sort, we can still get much better value. From her from her tank of fuel. By just following the, the common sense, some of the common sense stuff I've just outlined it there, really, you know.
1: Michael Hogan, who runs Hogan's School of Motoring in Port Next, you meet Annalina, who arrived in the Midlands from Ukraine only two weeks ago and is now volunteering in the relief effort locally.
0: Midlands today with Will Faulkner. Get exclusive content now on the Midlands Three Smartphone App.
1: Joe asks, what is to stop petrol pump owners from increasing the price as they wish? He's also wondering if VAT is included in the government reduction. No, it's purely on excise. Now, the VAT, I think, is applied to the total on top of the excise. So there is a slight reduction, but it's not lasting very long, Joe. And another caller says, Will, I'm a volunteer and I'm really sorry for ranting, but having worked with Meals on Wheels, it's heartbreaking to see so many elderly people sitting in cold houses with coats and scarves. And we have ministers going to other countries to represent ours. How can they say they are representing us when they leave elderly people in the cold and in some cases hungry? Shame on them, they should hang their heads. That's from John in Mount and I suppose when you see it first hand yourself, it does hit home. Uh, Paddy Phelan, the president of Ukraine, hmm, was taken in by that song, Endless Love. It does look like Zelensky, no doubt about it, but it's become quite a viral hit online and it's not Zelensky at all. Doesn't take from the music, doesn't take from the performance. It's a lovely, lovely version of Endless Love. Just, it's not him. And a final message, James on WhatsApp. Will, Mythbusters did an exercise a few years ago driving at various speeds. And yes, the amount you save by driving more slowly would shock you. Going slower does save juice. Absolutely. You just have to price in what your time is worth. If you're commuting back from Dublin in the evening, If you've got the kids waiting for you at home, you might end up 20 minutes late, but you've saved so much fuel, is it worth it? Again, some people don't have the choice. It's just a case of making ends meet. Uh, Now, let's move on because a little bit later, Shane Lowry's on the agenda. He has definitely performed the highlight shot at uh, Sawgrass so far, a stunning hole-in-one. First, though, a Ukrainian medical student says... There is a shortage of medicine in her home country, so if you are planning to donate, keep that in mind. Annalina Oleksenko arrived in Offaly earlier this month along with her mum. She has been volunteering at a collection point at Tullamore Rugby Club over recent days. The centre is open again today and tomorrow from ten until four. And you're asked if you can to bring toiletries. Non-perishable food, first aid kits and sleeping bags would also be welcome. And Alina has been speaking with Midlands 103's Sarah Casserly and says they came to Ireland to stay with her aunt and unfortunately had to leave family behind.
10: Our grandparents are still there and uh, we're a little bit scared about them because uh, now it's not so safe situation but um, we all cross our fingers and believe in better so have you been able to get in contact with your grandparents yeah of course we're chatting with our grandparents we're calling them and uh, they told us that all uh, everything is okay but uh, it's not (laughs) calming us because uh, we need that um, our Migrant mother, for example, they have uh, problematic with uh, her health, uh, like diabetes. And uh, in Ukraine now we have lack of medicine for some specific medicine, for diabetic people or some hormonal uh, dependent people. So what are your opinions at the moment about everything that's going on? Um, to be honest, <laughs> I... Um, I not believe on this situation. It's difficult to believe on that because uh, I was on studying uh, when my mother called me at five a.m. Uh, in the morning, and she was cried and tell that worries had become, and uh, I just need to go to my study. I can't believe that I need to pack my documents and couple of things to road to home, and now what they do is. Uh, it's a little bit crazy, because they're killing people, they're killing child, they're bombing uh, maternity hospital, kindergarten, and I don't know what can stop these people. Our uh, army uh, is uh, really uh, strong. Die yeah, we have problem in uh, some cities not become the war. They, uh, occupated the city and people don't have uh, water food and electricity they died because lack of water and cold they shooting small children and uh, they are not normal people and uh, I believe that uh, everything stop uh, as fast as it can. How have you found help ha- the community? accumulate some uh, cash for our army because it's important to what they really need to do. And we chatting with uh, all our friends, some medication, some specific medication, what they need.
1: That's Annalena speaking with Midlands 103's Sarah Casserly. A little bit of good news. Aloy has been in touch. And if you look in the emergency services, he says the Gorthy, the doctors... The wider community in Stradbally, but especially the paramedics who looked after his grandson after an accident last Wednesday, they were absolutely fantastic. And the good news is that his grandson is on the road to recovery and the family will be forever grateful you gave them and you know who you are. So, for the call.
0: Midlands today on Midlands a 3 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official West Mo County loves Reno more. p.o'Brien.ie.
1: Now, still on the agenda today, Ireland wins big um, with Shane Lowry so far uh, being the highlight of Sawgrass. Now, he's not in the lead, we should stress, but. The hole-in-one yesterday. It's just one of those viral videos. It was a stunning, stunning achievement. And he tweeted afterwards to say the drinks were on him. That's coming up at around a quarter past 11. We give you the latest military assessment from a retired brigadier general here in the Midlands looking at Ukraine and Russia launching a missile strike just 25 kilometres from the Polish border. What to expect from the Bachelor Festival which is relaunching in West Meath in April some changes to the lineup some exciting changes announced and on top of that why you need to have as much muscle in the bank the older you get what's meant by that and why should you take heed that's in an hour's time Clear. The Westmeath Bachelor Festival is announcing some schedule changes. Gavin James, The Academic and The Blizzards will now perform on Saturday April 30th instead of the Friday night as previously arranged. One of the event's organisers is Tom Nally. He says ticket sales have been incredibly strong so far.
11: Absolutely delighted. Our big night was the Friday night and now it's actually going to be the Saturday night, which is what we had hoped originally. So we have uh, the Blizzards, um, the Academic and Gavin James all moved to the Saturday night of the Bank hall the weekend, which will suit more people. Um, and we also have the Whistling Donkeys now, which are a huge band, um, on the Friday night instead. Um, the Sunday, the country session stays t- the same but all in all we've an even bigger lineup coming this Maybank holiday weekend.
3: And was there any particular reason for the change, Tom?
11: Uh, well it was the artists' decisions themselves and um, some of them the other gigs had changed so it worked in our favour that they could actually move to the Saturday night. So all in all we're delighted, it's, it's a real bonus for us.
3: And how are plans and preparations coming along?
11: They're flying. Ticket sales are absolutely flying. We only announced the Whistling Donkeys there uh, two days ago, and they're absolutely flying. So I'd advise people for the Friday night, really get on it. Um, And then the Saturday night, our big night, it's nearly half sold out. So we've seven weeks to go. So again, people, we won't have walk-ins on the day because they'll be sold out well before that. So I'd advise people to get their tickets now.
3: For anybody that may have purchased the tickets for Gavin James, for the Blizzards, if they have the tickets that say Friday night, those tickets are still valid then for the Saturday?
11: They are. So any tickets are transferable to the Saturday night. And the alternative to that, if it doesn't suit, um, you'll get an immediate refund as soon as you apply an Eventbrite. And we're, we're processing them immediately. We, we've had very few, thank God, but uh, anything that doesn't suit will sort people out, no bother.
1: Another artist from Mullingar, singing about his hometown. Apparently, is called This Town. Nile Horan, huge success for the Midlands at the Irish Film and Television Awards. Here with the details, Sinead Hubble. Good morning.
3: Good morning plenty of celebrations in Offaly over the weekend with um, Mixed Bag Media um, scooping the award for a short film for Nothing to Declare and of course Tunnelmore Sam Keeley um, winning lead actor in a drama.
1: So Mixed Bag Media based in Dangan that's Garrett and Martina we've spoken to them before and this was the great story from the 1980s of the two boyos getting on <laughs> the was it the ferry to the UK and then they took a plane to yeah. the United States they ended up in JFK and they blagged their... Tastic it was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing and very well chronicled in the documentary. And then Sam Keeley, like Sam's in so many different things. So what did he win for? So it was
3: for his role of Eric Viking Kinsler in Kin.
1: So that was a hard man role. Yes. Which is in stark contrast <laughs> to what people are seeing him perform in at the moment.
3: Yeah, he's in Joe versus Carol, which is um, based on exotic... Uh, are the Tiger King Mm -hmm. and uh, Joe Exotic. And he plays John Finlay, who's one of uh, Joe's husbands. And uh, yeah, it just shows kind of how versatile he is as an actor. We've seen him in so many different roles, roles, whether it was in Raw or Burnt with Bradley Cooper, Bradley Cooper. And, you know, he plays different characters. He's very good at it. But yeah, it's it's big big uh, change for him now at the moment.
1: Well done to all to Sam and to the crew of Mixed Bag Media taking home the gold at the IFTAS. Sinead thank you very much. Thank you. Quick mention by the way if you are in County Leash and you wish to donate to Ukraine Martley International will be sending an aid convoy to the country they're travelling on the 22nd so still over a week to go and there are collection points at Skull Creastree and St. Mary's CBS they're looking for household items such as bed sheets and cleaning wipes and batteries children's products nappies Milton tablets baby wipes female products sanitaries uh, women's underwear shampoo food and medical supplies so things that'll last like noodles pasta stock cubes dehydrated veg injury dressings bandages Gloves, masks, things of that nature. So, again, Martley International, hats off to you for organising that. The 11 o'clock news is coming next. Good morning. Now, in this hour, a sensational hole-in-one by Shane Lowry, the highlight of last night's action at Sawgrass. We'll bring you up to date on where the various players stand a little bit later. And the older you get... You might think weight training wouldn't be terribly important, that strength training was something for the 20-year-old. Not so. You'll hear from a leading specialist in ageing who suggests the more muscle you have in the bank in later life, the better off you will be. But what sort of exercise would be appropriate? Well, we'll tease all of that out from a quarter to twelve. Now, as you've heard in the news, another round of talks between Russia and Ukraine are underway and both sides say some progress was made in negotiations over the weekend. However, there was a strike at a base 25 kilometres from the Polish border, which is said to be the deadliest attack since the Russian invasion began and it has led to Ukrainian President Zelensky suggesting it's only a matter of time before Russian missiles land in NATO territories. He has reiterated his call for a no-fly zone, which NATO members have so far not entertained. Let's get another military assessment from Ger Ahern, who is a retired Brigadier General with the Defence Forces, Uh, was based here in the Midlands for many years. Ger, good morning.
12: Good morning, how are you?
1: Very well, thank you. Strategically... What would have been the Russian thought process behind that strike just so close to the Polish border?
12: I think it's not... It has less to do with its proximity to the Polish border as to what was actually in that base. It's an international peacekeeping school. Uh, we also have one in the Kora. I mean, they're in many, many countries around the world and they are uh, concentration areas for pre-deployment training for people going to uh, various different missions, either mounted by the UN or on behalf of the UN in different parts of the world. So I think it's, it's, it's proximity to um, the Polish border is somewhat incidental. It's the actual, I think, the the uh, opportunistic uh, use uh, of a location that um, maybe at this time is not carrying out any pre-deployment peacekeeping um, courses. But uh, as I've heard it inferred that maybe it's a staging post for... Um, non-Ukrainian fighters who have come to fight with the Ukrainian forces. Perhaps that's more to do with the what white, white was targeted than, than anything else. But that's speculation. It's all I, all I have read
1: myself. Mm. I, I, indeed, I've also read that of the weapons being sent from the West to Ukraine, some of them may have been stockpiled there. Is that conceivable?
12: More, very conceivable. First of all, its proximity to the Polish border would mean that uh, the, the distance they would have to travel from NATO territory in Poland or indeed from Romania or from Slovakia or Hungary bordering uh, onto uh, onto Ukraine, that it would be a staging post perhaps for um, uh, personnel and military equipment in there. So I think it was perhaps identified as uh, as a target uh, that would be, what they would say in military terms, a high-value target for the Russian forces on that area. I don't think the attack was coincidental.
1: Well, just to give both perspectives, so the Ukrainian side say 35 people died, 134 were injured in that attack on the base. Moscow says the strike killed up to 180, but they are described as foreign mercenaries and a large cache of foreign weapons. Let's shift the focus to Kiev, the Ukrainian capital, and it appears that there's a marshalling of forces by the Russians to... Assault the city. Clearly, their timetable isn't what they would have originally envisaged. How do you read uh, what they're up to?
12: Well, obviously they're concentrating the forces and uh, as close as they can to a 360 degrees or, or around Kiev. But you know, assaulting a city of uh, the size of Kiev and with the population of Kiev and determined and organised defenders, it's 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 a precarious. Uh, it's a precarious military operation for an attacking force and if they are to enter the, the, the city of Kiev incrementally I think they will pay a heavy price in terms of casualties to do that
1: So could this perhaps be well with the talks in mind could it be optics that the Russians wish to appear willing to threaten the city to carry out the sort of damage you've described is there perhaps a degree of bluffing going on?
12: I would say less a bluffing, but uh, an attempt to create leverage for the Russian side uh, and and, and to decrease the leverage that the Ukrainians may have. In that here we are 360 degrees around your capital city. Uh, It may be an attempt to um, strong arm uh, Ukrainians at the negotiating tables by having that leverage in that you have your capital city surrounded.
1: And then finally, as we head to the east of the country, where much of this unrest has been raging for years, since 2014 in effect. Um, The city of Mariupol for instance has been the focus of uh, quite a lot of activity over the last week or so. Uh, Do you see that the Russians have the advantage there uh, from what you've read is the Ukrainian resistance able to repel as effectively as they have in Kiev and in other locations?
12: I think the city of Mariupol is all but in, in, in Russian hands. And I think, strategically, from the very start, even before these, this incursion happened, I think uh, it would be well accepted that the Russians and Vladimir Putin, in particular, would have had a strategic aim to have a land corridor along the Black Sea and a- along the Sea of Azov, from Crimea to the areas of Luhansk and Donbas, and, and, Dunba- and, 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 and um, the, the whole region called Donbass in, mm. in the east of Ukraine. Yes, Donetsk is the other region. A, a land corridor from Crimea and Paul is on that particular uh, land corridor. So I think he has almost achieved that strategic game. I think of greater and more sinister interest is, does he go west from Ukraine and he's moving in that direction and threatening uh, the, 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 the critical and iconic port city of Odessa? I think if he was to attack and achieve supremacy over Odessa, that would uh, deliver a very, very fatal blow for Ukraine because it's from Odessa that the overwhelming majority of their exports of, of wheat and fertilisers and all of the goods that go from the, 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 city, the port city of Odessa, I think that's a critical issue for, for Ukrainians. They're quite a bit away from it, but advancing towards it, whether they intend to attack Odessa in any great strength, I don't know. I think that Odessa is as much a leverage issue for the Russians as as, as surrounding the city of Kiev.
1: Mm. So if that was their end game. How long might it take until they reached the city and could secure the port?
12: I think uh, they are days away from it. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the maps and uh, certainly they have taken, about a week or 10 days ago, uh, a major city en route to, to Odessa, which is Gerson. Uh, they're, they're in control of Gerson. And, uh, you know, w- whether they have an interest in in attacking and seizing Odessa or whether, like Kiev, it's moving in the direction of it in order to create leverage at the negotiation table. It's either one or the other or both.
1: It's always hard to read accurately what sort of resistance is being mounted because there have been many videos on social media, everything from a Russian helicopter being shot down last week, a tank left on fire and abandoned by the Russians. How impressed are you with the Ukrainian... Uh, counter-operation?
12: Certainly they're, they're mounting stiff resistance, resistance and they have to be lauded for their bravery and their resistance and, and the quality of their, their tactics at the lower levels. And certainly they're uh, inflicting casualties in terms of equipment and personnel on Russia, I think far in excess of what the Russians were perhaps ex- uh, expecting. So on that basis alone, uh, the Ukrainians have to be lauded for their bravery and their organisation and their military skills. I mean, they have been uh, aided by you know, significant arms deliveries from the West uh, at that lower level, at the anti-tank level, at the ground-to-air um, missile level. So, I mean, they're mounting stiff resistance and they're to be lauded for that.
1: Although some of that may be choked off by yesterday's attack uh, at the Yavarov base, but we'll watch closely to see what happens over the next few days, both diplomatically and militarily. Jarrah Hearn, grateful for your analysis as always. Thank you. Bye-bye. Jarrah Hearn is a retired Brigadier General with the Irish Defence Forces. It is just after a quarter past eleven.
0: Midlands today on Midlands Winning Three with Bus Éireann. Get better value using the TFI Go app for the Bus Éireann at Long Services. See transportforirons.ie.
1: losing my religion. Twenty three minutes past eleven on a Monday morning's time to catch up on all that's been happening in the world of sport.
0: The Monday Sports Review Brought to you by Slater Kia Introducing the new EV6 fully electric SUV With a range of over 500 kilometres. Find out more at Slater Kia Mullingar And I say good
1: morning to Joe Troy How are you sir? Good Will Shane Lowry has gone viral in the last 24 hours For those who haven't seen us uh, Tell
5: us why It's He's become only the 10 player uh, Will At the players, the TBC Sawgrass To get a hole in one Not just was it the hole-in-one defeat to do it. It actually has brought him back into semi-contention for the tournament. He currently sits four off the lead. There's obviously torrential rain has happened over the weekend. He has five holes left to play and, of course, his 18 holes Monday. The tournament would normally, of course, conclude on a Sunday. But just the popularity, the man can do no wrong. You see it on social media. Ian Poulter, who we would have played with in the Ryder Cup, forced to get him. A congratulations. He was high-fived the whole way up along uh, to that iconic green. If anyone of our listeners aren't familiar with it, you played into a small green. The pin was about a yard or two from the water. 49 balls went into the lake over the course of the day. And Shane put it straight into the cup for one. It
1: was outstanding. And I would say one very happy man watching was Dunham McArdle. These days from Tullamore Cycle Centre, but... He was involved with Shane's training and progress right from the very beginning. Good morning, Donna.
13: Good morning, Will, and good morning, Joe. How are you doing?
1: Good, Donna. So, what was your reaction when you saw that ball edge <laughs> its way eventually into the hole?
13: Well, it, it, from the time he hit it, it looked like it was never anywhere else. And, you know, they have the tracker now on TV, which is great, where you can see the flight of the ball. And it was just like arrow straight. And... Um, you know, it was a super shot and sure, like we jumped around the sitting room, I kind of enjoy. And then I know you're a, a big fan of a kind of dancing with the stars, but I think the dance you did at the team would be, would make any of them proud at this stage. Um, no, it was brilliant. And as Joe said, I suppose more importantly is putting them right back into contention. So when, you know, the, the, the tournament has been so you know, mixed up. It seems to be going on for a week at this stage. And he boarded 17 and 18 in the uh, second round to get him from plus one to minus one. And the cut was looking very much like plus one. So he put himself securely inside the cut line and then suddenly plays himself into contention. So, you know, uh, I think Joe said he's four off and he's in tight 11. He's obviously in great form. Uh, as we saw from two weeks ago when he was really, I would say, robbed Mm. just by bad luck with the rain that fell over his last two holes and the tournament was literally snatched out of his grass. But it does show the type of form he's in, the break over Christmas. You know, obviously he did him good, he's in good shape, he's in obviously great form. And, you know, this is the type of golf course where players can drop two and three and four shots at a time. So if you're up around the top 10 with a round to go and you're within three or four, he's well, well in contention and well in with a chance, I
2: think.
1: So who else should we be watching then? Who do you think would be uh, in, let's say, the top three to compete for the, the, the first place?
5: Yeah, well certainly I don't know Donna's thoughts on it but I'd obviously be watching uh, he's floating around the leaderboard when he does he tends to be right up there uh, the Englishman Paul Casey um, Arnabhan Lahiri is current leader but again it's just players with so many holes to finish from the rain delay and then a full 18 holes to go today so he'll essentially have some players playing 24, 25 holes fatigue can come in but uh, Paul Casey will be there there about but if Shane can get a good start uh, finish off the last couple of holes I wouldn't be surprised if you see Shane in the top four or five again. Um, It might be a bit of a push given the level of competition out of how closely congested the leaderboard is to win it, but I think he'll still have a good week and even another top ten finish for Shane. Um, Shane looks at winning tournaments now, of course, rather than his top tens, but I think he'll be banged there. But Paul Casey for me. Who's your pick to win, Donna?
13: Yeah, I tend to agree with Joe on that, that of the players that are up there, Casey would be the longest standing kind of journeyman pro out there. He is playing really well. The South African that's leading it has, like, he hauled out his third shot to the 18th, or his second shot to the 18th, and he has hit more greens in regulation than anybody in the tournament. Um, do you know, what? I, I, I'm not being patriotic, but I just, I, I fancy Shane will be there or thereabouts. I'd love to see him in this. Like, it's a $20 million tournament. It's ridiculous money that's on um, up for grabs this week. I think he just has a bit of a glint in his eye. I'm going with Lowry.
1: Okay. Excellent. Nice to get the vote of confidence. Donna McArdle, thank you indeed. Let's move on then to Gaelic Games Joe and
5: well we start with the football because it's all win-win-win to talk about. All win-win-win across the Midlands and the timing of uh, said wins was huge. No, Leash had struggled early doors uh, new management in obviously new styles coming in they would have been a bit frustrated but they kicked loose at the weekend got a very good win against Wicklow um, look at the start Leash wouldn't have been looking at relegation fears but they've certainly allayed them now but they're going to Limerick next weekend. They're a pint ahead of them in the table. They can finish with a wet sail. They're right then on the coattails of Westmead, who are going that bit stronger. They've beaten that Limerick side at the weekend. Um, Luke Lachlan with, with a goal and three for the Lakesiders. But both teams, Westmead, will be more so looking to try and break in towards that top two. It all depends on what way other games will go. Leash, look, have an outside chance, but realistically, it's going to be survival for Leash. Uh, they've allayed the fears of relegation. And. Alternately on an awfully side, awfully had a huge win away to Um You can't credit that enough having to go that distance with the pressure that's on them because that late, late collapse against Mead might still mm. come back to haunt them. They're currently third from bottom. Um, two tricky trips uh, to go. Playing Common next and then it'll all come down possibly to Cork who are a county their size languishing at the bottom of the table, but they're still going to be a live danger. But all teams with it all to play for looking good for Leash and Westmead. And I just think, awfully, buoyed by that win uh, will afford themselves survival in Division Two. And considering the start that they had will be a huge achievement and a good breeding ground for them again next year in the league with all eyes firmly focused on what's going to be with Dublin coming back to the closing pack a hugely competitive Leinster Championship you know everyone wants to avoid Dublin I know Offaly can play them if they win their first game but all of a sudden Leinster becomes that bit more competitive
1: Well let's have a listen to Offaly boss John Mohan who was speaking after the game he says, yes, they are feeling the pressure from some key absences, but the younger players are making the most of it.
7: We're all working extremely hard. It's difficult down in Division 2 for a young team like Offaly, and we've worked extremely hard. Everybody is putting their shoulder to the wheel, including the lads themselves and all the backroom staff. So this is a result for them.
14: You were short of your players as well this mm. evening. Is there any of them going
7: to be back for your last two matches? Yeah, we'd hope, we'd hope so. I mean, unfortunately, we lost um, three who were involved last weekend against uh, Galway and Pearce Stadium. Um, and Johnny Maloney, our team captain, is also out ranger So we have been stretched. when you consider we lost five from our start and uh, fifteen from last year for combination of reasons, two with cruise chutes and another one overseas and uh, So we are um, stretched but nonetheless it's an opportunity for others and the revealing of it and we have of course a crop of the under 20s coming through and uh, you're trying to manage them as best you possibly can but uh, a couple of them out there today just were were marvellous, You know, Lee Pearson in the corner, (laughs) super little footballer and you know Mark Abbott, uh, the smallest man on the pitch to uh, to get that intervention there at the end that led to the winning free. I mean, that was—he could have uh, thrown the head down and closed his eyes because he was, could have been killed. But uh, that's when you talk about the manliness and uh, that he displayed in that in that particular incident. That kind of encapsulated what today was all about for us. So, uh, look, at, we're, we're delighted. I'm delighted.
1: John Mon giving his views after the game. Now, Westmeath, as Joe mentioned, secured a six-point win over Limerick in Division 3 and Jack Cooney, the manager, was proud of their display.
6: We kind of gave ourselves a platform to show a bit of character and resilience that's in the team. You know, we probably didn't do that over the last two weeks and that's been disappointing. And the lads uh, responded very, very well. But for sure, uh, everybody worked very, very hard out there. I think there was... A real bit of steel in that we weren't conceding and the two, to come out of here with a victory was very, very, very important because, you know, the boys have gone through a tough week now and, and I think it uh, it was obvious at the end of the, at the final whistle there that that, game meant, that victory meant a lot to them.
11: Yeah, and coming down here, there was a lot of pressure on them after that poor performance and Limerick were on top of the table and they were the farm team in that
6: league and it was a must-win that had to be yeah, for you to even stuff, survive. Was uh, it was, you know, and... Um, Look, we had two really good sessions during the week, Tuesday and Thursday. The lads responded really, really well. And there's not, you can't ask for any more other than that, you know. And they threw out their shoulders and they embraced it. Leaders stood up and spoke very, very well today and during the week. Um, but we all know, like we all knew we're much better than what we've been shown in the last game, probably the last game and a half, so... The best, the best thing, the best thing to do sometimes is just get the boots back on and just get back at us.
1: All right, that's Jack Cooney. Now let's move on to cross-channel soccer. Uh Michael Arteta saying he's not getting ahead of himself in the race for the Champions League after a 2-0 win Arsenal over Leicester yesterday, meaning the Gunners are now back into fourth in the Premier League. Maybe take us through some of the highlights of the weekend, Joe.
5: Yeah, the Premier League is always, there's battles within battles. We'll start with that race for the top four, and Arsenal have certainly got it together under Arteta. He had a difficult end to last season and a difficult start to this season, but they're really coming out of wet sail. They're playing exciting football they have a lot of young players a lot of young English players involved as well Leicester have been in free fall this year under Brendan Rodgers um, since getting knocked out of the Europa League it's just been setback after setback for a team normally uh, so exciting to watch West Ham also in that battle as well and of course Man United who we'll touch on in a minute but Arsenal have certainly come with games they've got rid of a lot of dead wood they suspended and subsequently uh, sold their captain to Barcelona in the January transfer window Pat, or Pierre-Emerick Bamiang. Uh, he just wasn't pulling with him. Arsenal had five captains. He reduced them all. Granite Jack played his way back onto the team. I you know Stephen Bradley, our producer of the Inside Lines, is a huge Arsenal fan, but he'll have to be impressed with how they're playing. West Ham, everyone's kind of favourite team outside their own uh, with the job David Moyes is doing. They're back up to fifth ahead of Man United again. I think it'll be a bit of an ask for them to break into that top four uh, given the money that their compatriots have. Whereas it looks a two horse race now between Arsenal and Man United. Man United. Yeah, well, it
1: was worth noting, by the way, uh, Arsenal have three games in hand. Yes. They've played twenty six. Man United have played twenty nine. They're a point behind.
5: I'm a Man United supporter. You'd always hope that the same old Arsenal would fall into that rut of maybe dropping a couple of winnable games, but Man United have been have been uh, abysmal. Really, it was that man Ronaldo, thirty seven years of age, probably one of the best players of all time. A lot of criticism over his non involvement in the Manchester derby and gets a brilliant, brilliant hat-trick at the weekend against Tottenham. It keeps United on their coattails. Arsenal will certainly be most people and the bookies' favourites to maybe hold on to that fourth spot. But Man United they still have that reputation, but they, they're they not playing well. They don't deserve, really, to be there. Uh, they've won a couple of games that maybe they, they shouldn't have. Con- you know, On the opposite side of that, maybe they've lost some that they could have won, but they're a million, million miles off um, the third-place Chelsea, mm. who are then a good bit behind What Liverpool. do you make of
1: Raniak so far? Is he making a difference...
5: I think I don't care at the minute who you put in over Man United. I think they're overpaid, spoiled the prima donnas in that club. Now, of course, they're all overpaid across the Premier League, but in Manchester United, the culture seems to be gone. I know. There's a lot of fun poked that the rants that Roy Keane goes on but there's not a lot of sense there. He captained Man United for 13 years. He's seen the standard set. At the minute it, it seems to be the lunatics are on the asylum and that's not a good place to be and that's not a, a problem that's going to be easily sorted. They can throw more money at it in, in April and May. They can throw more money in, in, at it in January but they're not building a cohesive squad whereas you look down the table West Ham have uh, you know assembled a squad for, I won't even say half, maybe an eighth of, of what mm. United have spent. And they're united for their boss. They're all playing well. Uh, you know, you're looking at teams like that and saying if they had that culture, Liverpool have that culture. There's a relentless pace with them uh, keeping the pressure on Man City. Liverpool, when they get that momentum behind them, the fans behind them, they're brilliant to watch. Man City, though, a machine. They don't slip up too often. But that battle for forced is intriguing. Yeah,
1: the gulf between the top two is quite staggering. So you've got Arsenal... Eight points behind Chelsea, but Chelsea are seven points behind Liverpool. Yeah, and so Chel- 66 and 69 for uh, Liverpool and Man City, respectively.
5: Yeah, and Chelsea are just like they're in limbo, they're, they're going to be third. But what's going to happen with that club next year is, is going to be the big thing. You know, I suppose across many um, stations, it would have been billed as you know a real human rights clash the other day with Chelsea Newcastle. What's going on, obviously, with their sanctions. Mm towards Newcastle the controversial new owners in, in Saudi Arabia so it just goes to show the level of, of money and what's in there is it a fair fight what's going to happen to Chelsea obviously it's not fair maybe in their players or fans but but that's another issue but it, there is a chasm between what the Manchester United of all and Liverpool and Man City
1: Let's move on then to the rugby and plenty of calls for Irish celebrations at least Ireland 32 England 15 at finished
5: Yeah and possibly Johnny Sexton's last competitive match in in Twickenham like what a player he's been he's extended out his deal to finish up the World Cup but it was a real worrying match that first minute red card obviously changed the whole complexion of the game but I think Ireland are just relentless. It's a real disappointment that they didn't get over the line against France. Obviously, the Championship and the Triple Crown are still there, pending on England doing us a favour, but I don't quite know if England are good enough to get over that France side who, despite dominating possession Friday night, hadn't played that well. Wales had a couple of chances. we were all screaming at the TV a couple of late intercepts um, from the French defence. The title still looks like it's heading to France, but on a final day shootout, anything can happen. I do expect Ireland to beat Scotland I do expect them to be in that mind frame where they can put up uh, a bulk of scores and maybe you know, get a bonus try win against Scotland but what frame of mind England are going to be playing France in can they make it into that sort of game it's professional rugby they have to be professional do they want Ireland to win it probably not but they're playing for their own places they're playing for money they're playing for X, Y and Z so I do expect that there will be twists in the tails my heart says Ireland but my head says with that machine that France have built they'll probably defensively just eke it out Compelling viewing anyway, that's for sure. Anne in bannin wants to fly
1: the flag. She says, Haywood Community School won the All-Ireland School Football Final on Saturday against Ennis Diamond's CBS in Duggan Park in bannin And a huge well done and a huge congratulations to all concerned. And also from the Bradys, a massive congratulations to Shane Lowry. Can't wait to see you down at the Irish Open, they say. Excellent. Joe, thank you very much. That's You're welcome, it. Will. Have a good day. Joe Troy. Average temperature at the moment, 8 degrees.
0: Whatever the temperature, Flynn Fields are the local people you can depend on to keep you warm this spring. Delivering throughout the Midlands every day. 1-800-359-667 Midlands 183 The Monday Sports Review with thanks to Slater Kia Mullingar. Kia, main dealers for Westmeath and Longford. See slaterkia.ie Midlands today on Midlands a 3 with Bus Erin. Get better value using the TFI Go app for the Bus Erin at Town Services. See transportforirlands.ie.
1: Well, big congrats to Mote All Whites Junior Ballad Group on winning the county final in score yesterday in the Downs. And in particular, well done to their mentors, Louise, We Innuendo, and Tommy. Thanks very much for the message. Will do you know and the answer is no by the way uh, do you know if there is any ballad group playing for Patrick's Day in Portlaoise that's from Tony in Abbey Leagues as I said I don't know the answer but if you do please let me know and I'll pass it on to Tony on 083 30 10 103 by the way a little bit later Roy Jennings will start drive time stone cold sober well hopefully anyway We've had him in help and it has worked until now. Anyway, eh, drive time is coming from Tullamore distillery experience. So 18 million litres of the famous whiskey is produced every single year. And the new behind-the-scenes tour of the the state-of-the-art distillery allows you to see and smell and touch and, yes, even taste some of the 18 million litres. And Roy Jennings is going there from three until seven today to sample the ultimate distillery experience and hopefully not the actual whiskey itself or by seven o'clock this evening, drive time could be off the air. So make sure you're listening. It's going to be a fascinating programme. Now, let's turn our attention back to human health and in particular, strength training as you age because you might not think you need to be Arnold Schwarzenegger You might not have to pump iron once you hit a certain point in life. But actually, Professor Brendan Egan, who is a former Sligo footballer and deputy head of the School of Health and Human Performance in DCU, believes it is incredibly important to strengthen for old age. And he looks at the evidence that a healthy approach to your body at every stage in life prevents and manages the vast majority of chronic diseases. So here he is in conversation with Dr. Sarah Kelly from the Circle of Light.
14: The Natural Health Revolution, brought to you by Circle of Light. Show your heart and skin some love with our delicious and nutritious unroasted green coffee.
1: Available at all good supermarkets, pharmacies and health food stores. Or visit us at circleoflight.ie.
15: Welcome to The Natural Health Revolution, a weekly series that focuses on bringing science and nature together. Join me, Dr. Sarah Kelly, as I bring you top experts from the fields of science, health, nutrition and wellness to inspire you on your journey to long-term well-being. The Natural Health Revolution is sponsored by Circle of Light. Today we are talking about healthy aging, a concept that often feels focused on aesthetics rather than function. Today, Professor Brendan Egan joins me to shed light on the importance of looking after our bodies at every stage of life to prepare and strengthen us for old age. Brendan is the Deputy Head of the School of Health and Human Performance at Dublin City University and his research, while spanning exercise physiology and nutrition, has leaned heavily toward the subject of healthy aging across the life cycle. As a former Sligo footballer, he has always had an inclination towards health and fitness. But today, I'm going to pick his brain about the emerging research and his own experience in the nutrition and physiology field. Hello, Brendan. Thank you for your time today. Delighted to get a chance to chat with you. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Can you tell me what exactly is healthy aging?
14: Well, i like to start with the World Health Organization's definition of healthy aging because I think it encompasses a lot of uh, concepts that are useful in, in this space. So they talk about the fact that it's the process of developing and maintaining uh, functional ability um, that enables well-being uh, as we age. And the reason I, I think it's useful is uh, it talks about obviously development and maintenance. So it's really speaking to the point that healthy aging uh, begins when we're very young. And then to later life, when declines are inevitable, we actually do our best to try and maintain uh, where, where we've got to, to in younger life. The other thing that's interesting is it uses the term functional ability. And uh, when we think about, you know, the domain we'll talk about now around exercise and, and health, uh, we're talking about things like being able to get up and down stairs up and down out of chairs the speed at which we walk the strength of our muscles and so on and uh, the last component of it is that they say that it enables well-being and you know so they don't talk about the absence of disease and I think that's a, a big point to make here is that there is this inevitability as we age that we get a variety of different lifestyle related chronic diseases you know so the stats would say that between uh, 80 and 90 percent of people over the age of 65 will have at least one uh, chronic condition so the point uh, healthy aging is not that we're trying to avoid um, these illnesses because they in some respects, they're inevitable the, the longer that we live. But the idea is that the habits that we have, uh, particularly around diet and exercise, are the ones that enable that well-being and um, keep that functional ability as, as we age.
15: Obviously, we can't halt the decline, but what are the recommendations for slowing it down?
14: Well, the, the first thing is to uh, be as healthy as possible when you're younger. So, I mean, in general, you know, the habits that we develop uh, in our teens and, and 20s are the ones that stick with us uh, for life. So, and then, um, and, and, you know, the healthy behaviours there that most people be aware of, they're fairly common sense but the first is fingers which is to not smoke being a good habit the next is forks which is uh, the diet which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a second and then the next one is feet which is our physical activity Uh, the next is stress so trying to obviously uh, lead a least uh, stressful life as possible the next one is uh, sleep so good quality and quantity of sleep and then the final component is love so the relationships that we have the idea there is that they're the pillars I think of good health when they're established early on in life then you know makes that easier then to maintain them in in later life
15: and you mentioned about putting as much muscle in the bank in our earlier years. But if you haven't done that or if you're someone who this information is quite new to and you are that little bit older, what's the advice there? It's not too late, I presume. Yeah, yeah,
14: yeah. That, that's one of my favorite sayings. It's never too late to start. And uh, the other kind of related point to that is that even a small amount, you know, will have a major benefit. Uh, it is still possible that someone who's never really done any uh, form of structured exercise, be that strength training or, or aerobic training, cardio training, that they could still develop and improve their fitness Later in life so
15: and strength training as well a lot of people will go to the gym but it doesn't have to look like that strength training
14: the current recommendations people are very seem to be very aware of this idea that it's three to five days of aerobic activity per week and it's you know somewhere from 30 40 minutes uh, per day depending on on the intensity um but people are probably less aware of the strength training guidelines which simply say that we should do two strength promoting sessions per week and but it doesn't actually say that you have to go to the gym certainly i would say that there's no problem with the uh, approach of using bodyweight-based uh, exercises, particularly for, for older adults.
15: And Even for someone who maybe who's not familiar, an example like a body weight squat. Oh, sorry, or...
14: yeah, yeah. So a body weight squat, like the uh, that the what that looks like, people aren't familiar. Is it's simply getting up and down out of a chair. And uh, you know, even when we're starting with people who are beginners, sometimes we just use a chair. You know, they simply sit down, get up, sit down, get up, and they might do three sets of ten or something like that. And even lower body, we can there are things like we call lunges, and uh, you know, there's various different uh, movements you can do with with the legs. That uh, you know, essentially anything that involves putting strain or or uh, weight through the legs will. Will have a benefit. Um, from the upper body point of view, you know, the easiest one maybe to think of is what we call a wall press, which is simply standing with your feet uh, you know, a few inches away from the wall and pressing against the wall with your arms, you know, pushing yourself, letting yourself lean in towards the wall and then pushing yourself back. The progression will be you start off by pushing a the wall, then you move to, you know, a table that's roughly at your at your hip height, so you're kind of at a at an incline. And then eventually that's progressing to being able to do what people know as a press up. So
15: and uh, so the minimum guidelines you would say two to three times a week to try and introduce yeah, strength. Uh, I mean,
14: like, like that starting off with a very small amount, even if it is just one set per session and it's done twice a week and eventually building that up, it's like progression is the key.
15: And what if you're someone who you would consider yourself very fit, maybe you walk every day or maybe you jog or run, should they be concerned that they don't have any strength exercises in the routine?
14: Yeah, I, I, that kind of goes back to the, the point that I brought up earlier about the awareness of, of the of the exercise recommendations. Like a lot of people are aware of that, uh, you know, getting out for five 30 minute walks uh, per week. And and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that that is the bare minimum actually from an aerobic point of view so that should be done but um it actually doesn't uh, satisfy the criteria of this strength promoting uh, exercise which as i said is, is twice per week you know for people like that it would be just worth incorporating an extra couple of sessions of that strength promoting exercise in, into their week
15: to coincide with strength training how important is your nutrition or your diet
14: protein is the you know effectively the building block of muscle and we need it for recovery um uh, from exercise and we also need it for building of muscle and the current recommendation the rda as it's called the recommended daily allowance is 0.8 grams per kg and so that number you simply take your body weight in in kilograms and multiply it by 0.8 to work out you know the value per day but that so that that's i mean the the main message there is that older adults will require uh, more protein than the recommended daily allowance and one of the challenges really is that for a variety of reasons um older adults tend to eat less protein you know in terms of their food choices in terms of their appetite in terms of especially if they have difficulty with swallowing or chewing as, as they get older, they're all factors that lead them to actually consume less protein at a time when they actually need more. And that's you know part of the problem that, that needs to be addressed. The next thing would probably be a distribution. And that kind of coincides with the amount you eat per, as we call them, eating occasions.
15: Like if someone says, I physically can't eat that much protein, or I would really struggle to do that, do you find that it's just a matter maybe of giving them a strategy or ideas of how to do it?
14: There's a, a phrase called the anorexia of ageing. It's a well-established phenomenon that people will consume less food as, as they age. Age. It's it's trial and error in terms of finding the foods that can provide protein but don't necessarily have a dramatic effect on appetite.
15: I would imagine a lot of people, I suppose, they're trying to say if they're overweight and they're trying to lose weight. So a lot of the messaging they've probably received is reduce their calories, reduce their calories. So is that a challenge?
14: People who are potentially overweight and also have low muscle mass, there's actually a condition called sarcopenic obesity. And that refers to people who are overweight or obese, but who also have low muscle mass and those individuals it's again it'd be challenging because on one hand you do want to build them up by increasing muscle mass and strength but you also want to uh, to lose weight as well people listening to this might think well how can you gain muscle and lose fat at the same time I thought that was impossible that again is one of the biggest myths you'll ever come across like it's very it's not that muscle get or fat gets converted into muscle but it is possible for the muscle tissue to be growing while fat is being lost you know that that's something that can't happen
15: so the best way is exercise and increase your protein
14: yeah because exercise provides a stimulus for the muscle to to grow and it also obviously burns energy in terms of uh getting rid of that the the fat tissue so uh, yeah exercise has to be the cornerstone and then like that to maximize the response to exercise um that additional protein can be beneficial and if we go back to the whole calorie balance uh, concept then eating a higher protein diet is probably going to uh, suppress the appetite to a certain extent so people who are trying to lose weight by cutting back on calories might actually find that a little bit easier. Convenience foods, junk foods, they tend to be lower in protein. they tend to be higher in sugar and uh, higher in the, the kind of the, uh, the trans fats and, and, and so on. So they're definitely lower quality foods. Uh, they're also cheaper, they're more convenient but um, it's more of an effort to eat you know whole foods and, and, and protein rich foods, but something has to be done.
15: Brennan, you mentioned bed rest before and obviously if someone has undergone a surgery or they've been sick or too unwell to get out of bed, talk to me about the dangers with extended bed rest.
14: So bed rest is a condition that we call disuse. One of the major lifestyle components that will accelerate loss of, of muscle mass is extended bed rest. And when I mentioned earlier about the um you know the rate of loss when we're over sixty five being you know on average one percent per year, uh, it turns out in bed rest it can be one percent per day. And so the uh, phrase that's often used is it's possible to lose a decade's worth of muscle you know in in ten days of of bed rest. The good news I suppose is that um you know the body is very adaptable, so just as quickly as it can lose. Uh, muscle by being in activity for for a period of time it can be restored to a certain extent by you know appropriate exercise you know and bed rest is over and the point though to make is that the recovery is slower than the rate of of loss initially so to rehabilitate strength and function is definitely something people should should focus on if they if they have been bedridden
15: and so i was just going to say if you are bedridden and for an extended period of time and obviously there will be cases where people are absolutely unable to get out of bed. Is there anything they can do throughout, even getting up, you know, throughout the day, even just to stand up? Is there any benefit in that?
14: Yeah, it's it's that same principle that I I mentioned earlier, which is that, uh, you know, even a little bit can provide a lot of benefit and obviously there are scenarios where you know someone has got clinically mandated bed rest and you know effectively they have no opportunity to get out of the bed at all but if there is that uh, opening that they can actually get out of the bed and maybe it's just simply to sit in the chair or maybe it's to walk up and down the corridor or maybe it's to even try and perform some of those sitting to stand exercises even a very small number of them these are all things that will effectively you know tell the muscle that there's still some activity there and it will slow that 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 uh, loss process so anything really that involves the movement of the muscles even in the bed you know the this you know contraction of the muscles or trying to lift you know maybe upper body movements while still lying in bed like all of these things you know anything can be beneficial when it comes to uh, trying to mitigate the effects of of
15: bed rest okay so anything is better than nothing okay brendan thank you so much that was fascinating really interesting and thank you for your time today no my pleasure thanks for tuning in to hear the full show go to circleoflight.ie or wherever you get your podcasts
1: That's Dr. Sarah Kelly from thecircleoflight.ie bringing the programme to a close. He's back and thankfully he's fully clothed today. No swim togs. Pete Casey on The Afternoon Show.
0: Good afternoon. Next. Midlands Today on Midlands Winne3 with Bus Airin. Get better value using the TFI Go app for the Bus Airin at Lone Town Services. See transportforirelands.ie.